0: This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 244. 244, 244, hey. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast,
1: where it's all about working hard now, so you can sit back and reap the
0: benefits later. And now your host, he like wants you to move to San Diego and hang out, dude, chillin'. Pat Flynn. What's up everybody, thank you so much for joining me today in session 244 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Uh, Thank you all for your birthday wishes as well. I just turned 34 and I'm feeling young as ever, feeling fit, feeling happy, feeling stress free, despite having many projects going on. But you know what, those projects fuel my happiness. I wouldn't be doing them unless I was happy and hopefully you're working on stuff that's making you happy too and if not, hopefully you're working toward getting to that point. Today we have a great guest on the show with us, that is Nathan Berry, who you may have heard before on the show, he's been on a couple times before, one to talk about his uh, ebook business, which he since closed down because he started a new software business called ConvertKit, and we started talking together when I switched from Infusionsoft, which was a, uh, well actually I switched from AWeber, which is an email service provider, to Infusionsoft to then ConvertKit. His product and why I use that for email service now. And uh, for those of you who are on my email list, you'll be getting emails from ConvertKit or have gotten them already. And I love it because it just does so many things so easy. But I wanted to talk to Nathan again today to talk about how he was able to bootstrap that business, which is now making over $5 million a year. I was actually right there in the beginning when he started this thing and have seen him grow over time. And now he's sort of on this exponential curve upward. And I wanted to talk about how he's been able to do that. But also I wanted to talk about some of the growing pains because it's definitely scary when I think of myself, if I were in his position, creating a business like he's done with a much larger team now, and all the, the, the things that are involved with that, I mean, it's not necessarily something I would, I would wanna do, but I think it's something that we need to talk about so that you can see if this is a thing that you want or not. And for many of you, this is, this is exactly what you want. And for some of you, you might see that, well, the business idea you have, which could potentially lead down this road, isn't what you want. And it's important to understand these things now before you put in that time money and effort into something. You wanna be putting that time, money and effort into something that you know that you want. And so that's why we're talking with people who are successful on this show so you can see which ones resonate with you or not. And like I said, today we're talking with Nathan Berry, CEO and founder of ConvertKit, a company that I'm uh, also an advisor for. I'm an advisor for a few companies and what that means is I have a little bit of a role in terms of helping that company based on my expertise, based on my position in the marketplace and and based on what i see in here and i can help them out by sharing sort of what i hear from the front lines from you guys you you listening what you like what you dislike and i can pass that on and, and help improve the company in that way and we talk a little bit more about the specifics we also talk about numbers we also talk about uh the uh, you know what that deal is like My, myself as an advisor for this company and you know this is all really interesting stuff this is this is brand new to me and it's likely brand new to you as well but hey we're gonna dive right in. So here's Nathan Berry from ConvertKit.com. For those of you who are going to end up using it at some point, uh, you can use my affiliate link if you'd like, which is smartpassiveincome.com slash ConvertKit, which at no extra cost to you uh, puts a little bit of uh, money back into SPI, which is awesome. So again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash ConvertKit, and here's Nathan. What's up, everybody? I'm so happy to welcome back to the show Nathan Berry, CEO and founder of ConvertKit.com. Welcome back, Nathan. How are you?
1: Doing well, thanks for having me
0: back. Uh, and thank you for taking the time. I know you just got back from a trip to Thailand. You were there to speak, and you've been speaking quite a bit and have become known in this space for somebody who's built this amazing company. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an advisor for the company and, and I'm just very thankful to be a part of it, um, but because you built the company in a way that's uh, a little different than a lot of the other SaaS companies and software solution companies out there where you know people are getting venture capital and angel investing and, and, and getting a whole bunch of people to put money in you were able to do it purely bootstrapped. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so we haven't taken any outside money. It's been entirely uh, customer funded other than I put in some money over time that ended up being about $65,000 over the life of the entire company. Okay. But other and than that, every dollar from customers.
0: That, that's awesome. And that, and that is a pretty unique story, I think, out there, especially with something uh, this big and this successful. Currently, can you share some of the numbers I mean, we're recording this right now in October of 2016. Most of you who are listening to this right now are listening to it uh, at the end of 2016 or perhaps in the future. So it's probably grown even more since recording this. But um, what's really cool is ConvertKit also shares their numbers transparently on a site called Bear Metrics. And a few other companies do this. I know Buffer App does it and ConvertKit too, where you can see their monthly recurring revenue, their annual run rate, which is how much money they're set to make in revenue every year um, based on the number of users they have. And you can even see in real time how many customers are subscribing and what they're paying and all that stuff. So do you have any numbers to share right now? Obviously, I know you don't mind sharing because it's out there yeah. in the world, but w- where are you guys at right now?
1: Yeah, so we're at 440,000 a month in, um, in monthly recurring revenue. Um, that's from just over 9,000 customers. And we're growing by about eight percent every month.
0: That's insane, and that equates to about a little over five and a quarter million uh, dollars every every single year. Now, big question: How much of that is profit uh, at at this point? I know you have a big team, and you pay them, and you have to pay for resources to make your company work. Uh, of of the four hundred forty k per month, like how much of it is is kind of left over? And you know, I know you sure. use that to, to grow the company even more.
1: Yeah, so that's actually been a big journey for us because back in um, January of 2016 um, we were losing money like we actually lost money that month um, and so we made a huge push to get profitable um, and we went from you know losing money to 3% profit margins to 10 and then by June of this year um, we we're at 52% profit margins and that was really skewing too heavily towards profit and so then we've kind of readjusted and since then we've been operating at about 30% profit margins and that's the right balance of saving up enough money and having kind of this war chest. And really you just you need a lot of cash in the bank. Um you know when you get to the point where you're spending a quarter million dollars a month on staff and servers and all of that. So 30% is about where we sit right now.
0: But it's really interesting that right there what you just said that you were still kind of in the red in January of 2016 even though the company's been up for a while. I think a lot of people when they build their software businesses, they expect to you know, have some profit right away. Can you speak to you know realistically, um, especially if you are not getting capital or capital from from outside sources, um, what what the expectant kind of life ta- or timeline is for uh, you know the revenue growth and when it starts to become profitable?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's no standard. Um, building a subscription business takes a lot longer than I thought it would. I came from the ebook world, and so. You know that you can build up a, uh, you know, an audience of a thousand people and launch a course to them, and you've got ten thousand dollars in revenue, you know, relatively quickly. And that was not my experience with SaaS at all, and, and you know, software as a service. And so it really took a long time to get going. So I think other people could have done it faster in the early days, um, but really in the last two years, we've we've probably done it faster than you know mo- than most other companies out there. So on the profit side, I would expect to, to run at break-even, you know, where you're spending every dollar that comes in. I would plan to do that for a long time. We did that up until we were about 120000 a month in revenue. Um, it, you know, one of our employees, I think the fourth employee that we brought in, uh, he came in at part-time, and then we, I think he, he started like 15 hours a week. And the next week, I was like, hey, Matt, can you switch to 20 hours a week? And then two weeks later, I was like, can you go to 30? And he was like, okay, wow, I must be doing a good job. And he was doing a great job, but also we were buying more hours from him as MRR increased. So basically, we just spent the money exactly as we had it. And I would say, expect to do that for a long time.
0: Now, you were taking money for yourself at this time, right? You were paying yourself a salary, or or were you not?
1: I started paying myself a salary of January of this year. So I was three years in before um, I started paying myself a salary and then, um, and then later this summer, I finally repaid like the money that I'd loaned the company, which was uh, a about 65,000 so
0: back to yourself.
1: Yeah. And for tax reasons that ended up being a loan and then a repayment of a loan.
0: I see. So for three years, you didn't have an income coming in. Is that the way you're kind of trying to explain it?
1: Yeah, I made my money from from my blog and from my ebooks, and you know I had this idea of oh I'm going to focus on ConvertKit and it's going to take off and and well it does this like my books and courses are going to continue to sell and so I don't need to worry about money, but I focused entirely on ConvertKit and 100% neglected the other business and it actually it went from about you know averaging fifteen thousand a month in revenue um, the other business that is. To Drop down pretty quickly to about two thousand a month um and I'm really bad at balancing different businesses. some people can can juggle a lot of things and do that successfully mm-hmm. I can't. I tried for a long time, and so I would kind of each month watch like my books and courses like coast down closer and closer to zero and just focused on on convert so I actually ended up cashing out all of my um like all of my investments. I had, had about $50,000 in like Wealthfront, um, mm-hmm. so just in like index funds and stuff. And I ended up selling all of that off just to live off of because I didn't want to take Focus away from ConvertKit as it was going well.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah, that's
1: how how I lived for three years without taking a salary.
0: Now is that, I mean, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking about what it's like for somebody to listen to this. Um, you had built a successful company from the ground up, no bootstrapping, but you did have... Some money set aside, and you had this other business going for you. So, if somebody were to say, Nathan, I would love to build a business and bootstrap it just like you did. I think it's fantastic. You don't have to share any of your company with other people uh, and and, uh, give up a little bit of control that way. But I don't have that side business like you had. I mean, you you had, and you've been on the show before talking about this, a very successful ebook business. You shared with us some amazing price tier structures that allowed you to, uh, to really maximize the impact that you were having with those books and. Uh, for, as a reminder, Nathan was uh, creating books helping designers and, and app creators with their, uh, their UI, and he has he an expertise in user, user interface, which is why I feel ConvertKit is actually one of the best out there because it just looks and functions great. But to somebody who is asking themselves, man, I, I would love to bootstrap a business like Nathan, but I don't have that side business. I'm working nine to five. There's just, I don't There's just have that kind of money in the bank is bootstrapping a business like you did even possible, or is that money kind of necessary so that you can uh, s- sort of take the the months or years even without taking any income from that business that you're building?
1: Yeah, so it depends a lot on the type of business, you know. And if you're trying to build something of the scale of ConvertKit or you know, really any software as a service business, it's going to take a lot, and it takes a skill set. So I would not start that as your first business. Um, Jason Freed from Basecamp talks about mo- making money being a skill and something that you should practice over time, just like you would you know playing drums or cooking or any other skill. And so I think of it as a SaaS company or a software of any kind is a type of business and a level of skill that you should attempt after you've spent a few years practicing. And so I think you know, doing services for other people. That's like a, a great baseline of where to start. And then you can ramp up into simple products. Those might be um, books or courses, iPhone applications, and you know, some of these more standalone, smaller things, um, before making the step into like, full-fledged software. And so as you establish those skills, you'll also establish the ability you know, to earn income um, mm-hmm. before you attempt something that's really, really difficult and takes a long time, which is you know, software as a service.
0: And another thing that comes to mind is, well you had an audience already and and had many people who were building their own email lists and building their own blogs and brands. And so just as you mentioned the last time you were on the show, you built ConvertKit for yourself and people like you. So when you started it, you already had some kind of an audience who could already use it, um, which differs from a lot of people who have these ideas for these softwares or maybe they're coming up with solutions for problems that they have but they don't have an audience yet. Here's the big question is bootstrapping for everybody? And w- no, w- w- yeah. w- would, would you recommend people even uh, go out and get venture capital if, if, if they don't have those resources?
1: Yeah, so I, I kind of see them as two different things. Um, one, I don't think that bootstrapping is for everyone. There's a lot of types of businesses that benefit really well from getting venture capital. Um, but I think of, I think a lot of people think of venture capital as a necessary step. And I'd say in most businesses, it's not, you know, certainly for our business, we've been able to do it without funding. Um, it would accelerate the timeline if you're able, able to raise funding, mm-hmm. you know, you'll basically either win or lose faster. Um, the stakes are higher at that point, you know, what might have been a great $20,000 a month business that, you know, we should never complain about. Um, if that was bootstrapped, like that's a success. But if you raise half a million dollars or a couple million of venture capital and that's the the pinnacle of what you can achieve, even $100,000 a month, that would be a failure. Um, and so, you know, they, they would be pushing you to higher limits. So I would watch out for the idea of venture capital being like a first step that you have to achieve because it's kind of like, you know, asking permission from someone else to start your business because you're saying I can get customers once I – convince these angel investors to, to give me a quarter million dollars. And I don't like that. The first place to go is to customers. And so mm-hmm. I, I'd start there. Um, you can never go wrong trying to sell customers and like get pre-orders and that kind of thing from day one. Um, because then you know if the business works. What would be awful is to put in a bunch of VC money or a bunch of your own money and then find out you know, six months or a year or more down the road that, like, no one actually wants to buy what you're what you're selling. And it's too easy to do that if you're funding it some other way than with customers.
0: Right, right. And then when it comes to the money required to start this business, um, I mean, you had this other business that was helping you. You had some money in the bank already. Um, how much money would be needed? How does one even know what the costs would be if somebody's doing software, for example? Would they actually go and reach out to a developer or potentially partner with somebody and just see what that cost would be and kind of work backwards from there before they get to a point where they're like, okay, I've saved up enough enough money. I'm going to take the plunge and and actually start building this thing. Like, where does that, you know, you had enough uh, to start. How does somebody know they have enough to start?
1: Yeah. So if you have customers, you can always work on it or you get pre-orders. You can always work on it with that money. Um, So where I would start is talk to contractors, get estimates, Um, and then, you know, probably triple or quadruple those as far as to get a realistic amount of what you're going to spend. (laughs) Right, right. Um, And then another big factor is going to be your own skill set. So if you know nothing about building software, then expect that you're going to lead these contractors down some other route that is going to waste a bunch of time and money, or you're not going to communicate with them efficiently. And so I I would spend some time learning the basics of software design, learning the basics of user experience, Um, how to wireframe out software and and explain, you know, this is what I'm trying to accomplish more than just a list of features. The more you can do that and the more you understand about the process, the more time you'll save. I saved, or the more money you'll save. I saved a lot of money because I knew um, design and front-end code. So in the early days, um, I spent about $10,000 to have a Ruby on Rails developer build like that first prototype. And I did all of the design and the HTML and CSS. So I probably saved uh, probably half the money um, for that first prototype. So I wouldn't expect to get any kind of an initial prototype done for less than $20,000 unless you're able to do a bunch of that work yourself.
0: Now, people are hearing that $20,000, that's a lot of money, Nathan. Is there anything one could do beforehand, uh, but before they get to that point, and you had mentioned collecting pre-orders to, to fund some of that. I mean, how does one, like let's start from, from the beginning. Like if I have an, a software idea or if somebody in the audience has an idea for a solution that they need help with, that they think other people need help with, what, what would the steps be to begin to collect those pre-orders? Uh, and and I'm, I wanna go uh, hard on you a little bit. What if we, I don't even have any contacts of people who, uh, who are influencers or, or I don't have an audience of any kind?
1: Yeah. So if you're really starting from scratch that I would say pretty strongly, you shouldn't start this business because this, um, you know, if there's different levels of, of difficulty in a business, I would put software at like, you know, this is like a level five difficulty. Mm. Um, and so I, you know, I, I wouldn't try to, to skip to the end of the video game and like play the hardest levels before you've worked your way up. Um, so learn those, those core business skills of selling, of building an audience, of building a network along the way and learn them on simpler products, um, you know, where uh, there's less money at stake. If you fail, it's not as big of a deal mm-hmm. um, and it just takes less time. Now that said, it, if, if you want to dive straight into uh, the more difficult side of business, I, I don't blame you. Entrepreneurs are crazy people and-,
0: and That uh, we are. <laughs>
1: Um, you know, like we wouldn't get anything done otherwise. Um, so, what I would do is I would get really specific about who you're targeting, you know, what problem you're solving. And don't just solve a problem. Well, for the case of ConvertKit, we were like, yeah, we're solving email for people who need email solutions, you know? And that doesn't give you anyone to target because it's like, cool, anyone who uses email marketing is in our target market. But that sucks. Later what we did is we focused on email marketing for professional bloggers. And so now as you you have that more narrow focus, then you can start to get on the phone with professional bloggers or teachers or designers or whoever your target market is and start to ask them, do you have this problem? Um, What frustrations do you have? You know, We started a lot of conversations just by saying, hey, I see you're using MailChimp. Is there anything frustrating you about that? Mm. And so... Uh, yeah, of course, everyone has frustrations. If you ask people using ConvertKit, you have frustrations. They'd be like, "Yeah, here are my frustrations." You know, um, no product is perfect, and so that's a great starting point um, to see, you know, what problems can we solve. And everyone online, I feel like, wants to sell through content. You know, they want to do content marketing. They they want to write a blog post and or email their list and just have all these sales come in. And I'm all for that, and I've done that a lot. And we do it now with ConvertKit. But in the early days, you're getting rejected all the time. And if you're only selling through content or selling through channels at scale, you don't know why you're getting rejected because everyone's hitting, you know, they're just clicking the back button or they're hitting archive on your email and they're not replying and saying, you know, Nathan, I would buy this except well, you know, and like sending you a detailed explanation. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we sit down in person or we get on the phone and I'm saying, hey, Pat, you should buy this thing, you can't like hang up the phone or you can't like get up and like awkwardly shuffle out of the room. (laughs) You have to actually say like, well, what about this? Or I don't think I'm going to buy it because I'm using this other tool. You're like, you're socially obligated to give real reasons. And then that enables a dialogue. And so if you end up not buying, I at least know exactly why you didn't buy. And if I can overcome those objections, then we might get to a sale. So with content, you're getting rejected and you have no idea why. And so I would encourage people, hunt down your target market, get really, really specific, and then get them on the phone and learn about their frustrations, tell them about your solution, and then try to get them to give you money. And do direct sales. Uh, and everyone says they don't scale, but um, you know, if you can't get customers, who cares if it scales? Great. You've gotta, uh, you've gotta find channels that work.
0: And I know that you also met a lot of people in person to talk about uh, these things, including myself. You took me out to coffee one day, and we started talking about how I was uh, on Aweber, and then I switched to Infusionsoft. And you were just asking questions; you weren't being aggressive. You were just curious, and because we have a friendship, and we just had coffee we were just chilling having having a good time and i think you got a lot out of that conversation and that obviously led to months later uh me switching to convertkit and then me coming on board as an advisor and now promoting and and sharing it as a recommended resource for everybody out there which is awesome and i know there's a lot of convertkit users out there so hopefully you're enjoying this conversation with Nathan Berry ceo and founder of convertkit uh, whether you use convertkit or not i think there's some big lessons here especially when it comes to a lot of these big grand software Type business ideas that we have. It it may not be for everybody. is, is the big thing that I'm uh, hearing. And you know, I have a little bit of a foot in the software space with the smart podcast player. And even as small and as niche down as that product is, I mean, uh, it's it's a lot of work. And one of the other things that is that comes to mind with this kind of stuff is the the um, customer service that is needed in order to keep it alive and keep it thriving. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Nathan, in terms of what what was customer service like for you? Was it was it always just you? When did you start building a team? And, and what does that team look like now for you?
1: Yeah, so the first two years, it was just me. Um, right, right about the two-year mark, um, we started to bring on a bit more of a team. So a full-time developer and a full-time customer service and everything else sort of role. You know, in the early days, it's all kind of catch-all.
0: When, um, when, really quick, when you were just starting out and you said it's just you, you didn't do the development, right? Uh, for, I had contracted. You had contracted. Okay, so you worked with them kind of on the side specifically for the project itself, but you were your only, only employee at the time.
1: Yeah, and, and since I didn't get paid, I don't know how much of an employee I counted as. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of scaled slowly. I, I guess really quickly on, on the hiring thing. Um, uh, one friend, uh, Danny, any who runs a, a company called Miracy used to be Firepole marketing. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he we're having breakfast breakfast one time and he said, um, you know, if you pay for half of someone's time, so if you hire them part time, you're really getting a quarter of their attention. And ever since hearing that I've just, I've made a, a, a push to try to hire full-time people who are focused entirely on convert kit. And I think that's paid off really well. And so I try to use full-time employees and take really great care of them rather than you know, doing any offshore development or um, outsourcing. And that's just my personal style. Um, but that results in you know, a bigger team in-house. So right now we have 9,000 customers and seven, no, eight full-time people on our customer success team.
0: Um, eight people specifically and, for customer service.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: That sounds like a lot, and, but what, what's their volume like?
1: Yeah, so we do about 250 replies um, per day. Um, wow. And we handle all of that inside of Help Scout, which we've tried a bunch of different customer support tools, and, and that's our favorite. Has the best metrics in reporting. Um, the other thing is we, uh, we started to roll out phone support a little while ago. So we don't have a phone number that you can call. But we have um, links in all of our emails and in the app where you can click to schedule a call. And so we have all these 20-minute uh, or 15-minute phone call slots, and we do about 100 phone calls a week. And then the other thing that we're trying out is calling every customer um, who signs up and and seeing anything we can do to help, how can we answer questions. And these are all things that we're trying to do just to to make customers more successful and... You know, really, the more successful you are, the more likely you are to stick with the product. Um, And then I guess the other big part of it that two of the people on the team spend a lot of time on is the customer migrations. And so if you're on, you know, Aweber or MailChimp or Infusionsoft and above a certain threshold, um, basically above, I think it's 10,000 subscribers right now, then we'll do the migration for you for free. And so that's been a huge tool because people will say, like, oh man, I'd love to switch, but it's too much work. And so we were able to just remove that objection and say, "Look, we'll do it for you for free." And um, then it's pretty hard to say no to that. And so, you know, we now have two full-time people who—that's all they're doing—and they're switching, you know, twenty, fifteen to twenty customers a week over and doing all of that work for them. Um, but it pays off. We get a lot of bigger accounts, more influential people that way.
0: That's awesome. I, I love that, and how you're directly. Applying that to someone's specific objections when it comes to why they would not subscribe, I think I think that's really important. This is something that I try to do with everything I do. You know, every blog post I write, every book that I write, every podcast episode I come out with. You know, I try to think of okay, what are the haters going to say? And you know, haters is maybe a strong word, but just what are the objections going to be, and make sure to address those. I think I picked that up in a Malcolm Gladwell interview, or even in a book where he specifically writes chapters based on people's initial. Uh, readings of the manuscript, and he adds those extra chapters in if people have something to say just to kind of counter those and, and, and directly address them. It's sort of like, um, you know, Eminem in 8 Mile when he's rapping and he, at the end, raps about himself and makes a fun of himself before the other person can actually use that as ammunition because he already talked about it. Anyway, that's a stupid yep. uh, analogy. But, um, uh, yeah, that that that's awesome. I, you had mentioned, again, January 2016 is when, you know, things start to shift in terms of uh, being profitable, really starting that hockey stick growth. I'd love to have you speak on what attributed to that. What are some of the things that you put into place after years of being up, years of seeing you know, relatively small growth, and then boom, that big growth finally started to happen. What did you guys do uh, purposefully to make that happen?
1: Yeah, so the um, we're basically focused full-time in the business October 2014, um, okay. and so at the time we were doing a thousand dollars a month in revenue, and that's when the direct you know I started direct sales and we started these concierge migrations and doing anything we could to get customers fast forward to March of two thousand fifteen, so six months later, and we'd hit five thousand a month in revenue um, end of July, which that's when you signed up was july to two thousand and fifteen we were at fifteen thousand a month in revenue. And so that's really, like, that June-July time frame is when things really started to take off. Um, Because you came on, and then another really big site in a different industry called Mm -hmm. wellnessmama.com. They came on at the same time. And so, it like, getting two influencers in two entirely different spaces made a huge difference. And then, so we kind of kept having this linear growth. Um, And then we started doing webinars and these other bigger promotions you're let's see October of 2015 you dubbed that email marketing month Um, and I think that promotion alone with you added like $10,000 to our monthly recurring revenue so that was like you know 40 or 50 percent growth in a single month Um, and then we started doing webinars and getting like just a lot more word of mouth and so we kind of hit that uh, like initial scale of now there's like everyone was talking about us, mm-hmm. every customer was, but when there's a hundred customers, that's not that much impact. But then once there's a thousand customers and they're all telling their friends, that makes a big difference. Um, and so really like those initial posts from you and also from um, the team at Wellness Mama, like in two separate industries just made a huge impact. And, and cause in the early days it's really hard cause people are like, yeah, but who uses you? And you're trying to say, like, well, we have this, you know, customer or, like, we're used by, and you're, like, listing all these people that they may never have heard of. But then we we're able to say, like, oh, this big account that I know you've heard of, you know, either either you or Wellness Mama, um, like, that made a huge difference in and, and the credibility. And so then things started to ramp up from there. So it was really about that time frame because October, we were, like, 25000 a month in revenue. And then by Decem- by the end of December, we'd hit just shy of 100,000 a month. So that was like 4X in two and a half months or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it was crazy. You know, I, I, I know because I'm one of them, the influencers who kind of came on board and really pushed it hard. But um, I did that because it's a great product. And I think every and I knew everybody who uses it would enjoy it, and they have been. Um, but I think it's really important that when you're building any kind of business, it's obvious that the relationships that you build are really going to help push your business forward. You can't possibly do this alone. You can't have word of mouth marketing for you if you're the mouth that's only talking. So you need to really get and connected uh, well with other people, and and you. you Worked a long time to, yep. you know, let our relationship kind of turn into something that that eventually became uh, beneficial for ConvertKit, and there was no even there was even no ask up front, but it's just because you knew you believed in the product and you you knew it would help me, um, you know, and you were there as a resource once I finally needed it, and I think that's really important for any kind of business, no matter what you're selling, you need to connect with the right people, you need to. Uh, make it easy for people to understand that this is something that they need, but not only that, to make it easy for them to get access to, like you said, and then the webinars and all those kinds of things work too. But you know, more than anything, like you mentioned, it's the connections uh, that you make. And so, uh, a couple more questions um, first related to what we were just talking about. You know, I came on on, on board uh, as an advisor, and I love to share. Uh, have you share if you're if you're willing to or allowed to. Um, you know, what the terms are like, because I think there's a lot of software companies out there and, and, uh, and other companies in different spaces that could benefit from having advisors come on board in a similar way that I did. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I had this great influence, but I, I'm saying that because, like we were talking about, we need to you, you need to get other people on board who can offer their skills and offer their influence. Um, and, and so what does that look like for ConvertKit in return? Like what what were you able to Ah, uh, share with me uh, what were the benefits on both sides
1: in a typical advisor setup. Basically, what that is is you're you're looking for someone who uh, can help move the company forward, and you know have like maybe biweekly or or monthly calls, make make connections. If you're trying to raise funding, this would be a person who could um, lend their name and their their contacts in the project to like really make that funding round fall together. Um, And the way you typically compensate an advisor um, is with equity in the company. And that can range anywhere from, most common would be a quarter of a percent, um, all the way up to, I've heard as high as like one full percent of the company. Basically, what you choose there depends a lot on uh, how far along the company is. So if you're at the idea stage, you know, it would be more, and if you already have traction and and good progress, then it would be less. So we have two advisors, you and Ryan Delk. And so, Pat, when you came on, I think we were officially as an advisor, I think we are doing about 25000 a month in revenue. Maybe 20000 a month. It was just before like before that big push. Uh, and so, for everyone who wants to know how much of ConvertKit Pat owns, um, <laughs> the exact terms of that are 0.75% uh, of, the company, so three quarters of a percent. And I'm trying to think, we, basically that vests over four years, which is a pretty standard term. Normally there'd be a, like a one year cliff on that. Mm-hmm. Um, And what we ultimately decided is like, <laughs> you were starting, you were basically saying, hey, I'd love to be an advisor or I'd love for something to work. But if not, I don't care. This is my promotion plan. Oh, and by the way, it starts in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, I don't think a cliff makes sense here because we're going to get some pretty amazing value from this, not a year from now, but like, you know, starting next Tuesday, basically. Right. Um, and so we didn't do a cliff, basically, the equity started investing uh, right away.
0: Yeah. So what what, what that means, everybody, is it, it doesn't necessarily mean or doesn't mean that I get a check from ConvertKit uh, for that. Well, actually,
1: you will get a check this year. Oh, I will. I don't do that.
0: Yeah, I you will get that. a check.
1: Um, everyone gets to find this out at the same time. (laughs) Uh, so basically the way we have Convertit structured is a little different from a standard startup. Um, and the way, but the way we have it structured is that all of the profits, because we're not, we're not in it like to try to, to like build and flip a company, you know, we're not trying to get an exit as quickly as possible. Um, so we're trying to build a profitable company that pays out, um, dividend checks to its owners. Um. And so the way we're set up as an LLC, the profits flow through to the owners. And so, um, you know, there will be like a, a check that comes out at the end of the year for, you know, your percentage of the profits.
0: Sweet. I didn't know that. Um, I got to read up on those terms a little bit better. No, uh, that, that's awesome. I think I remember my attorney mentioning something about that, but it was something that wasn't expected. Um, But, you know, there are many more benefits to being an advisor than just the percentage of of the company. There is some part ownership there. I do feel like, I have a bit of the company. And even though it's a yep. fraction of a percent, um, it, it does feel like I have some ownership there, which allows me to, in my head, and and quite honestly, share it with the world in a way that's, that's more honest and more authentic, I believe. Um, and I'm, I'm more behind it, if you will. So that's another reason why you might want to have advisors come on board and actually share a piece of the company with them. Even though it's a small piece, uh, it, it, it works out really well for everybody, I think. But beyond that, Because I have direct access to Nathan and because I'm actually using this product as well, I'm able to uh, reach out to him if anything happens or if I hear anything on the front lines. I think that's one of my superpowers in the space is I get to hear directly from people who are using these kinds of products and what people are frustrated with. So if it's something they're frustrated with, that particular software in in particular, I can go directly to Nathan to get things moving quite quicker, uh, which is great. Um, but that's also a benefit for me because I use it too. Plus I'm able to share my own ideas, uh, like for features and things like that. I can run those ideas off my audience. And then if I hear that there's one particular thing that's very needed, I can go to Nathan or, or, or one of the developers or something and we can get something created, which is, which is awesome. Uh, and, and they move a little bit faster on that because my say comes with a little bit more weight. I would, I would say if that makes sense, Nathan, um, and you know this is this is similar to how I have it set up with other companies that I'm an advisor for, like Lead Pages and Sam Cart. And really, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the connections and just the ability to have my name next to the company. Uh, it means a lot for my business and my authenticity. Uh, and and so for me as an advisor, that that also comes with it too. But um, the other thing that I want to mention is that you know because I have a fraction of a percent of the company, that means that if it were to actually exit at one point, you know yep. I would be included in that uh, as well. So. Uh, you know, with the 440000 that's being made every single month, I'm not making, you know, $3,000 every month because of that. But if it were to exit at, you know, multipliers of that, I would have, uh, you know, a significant income coming from a that. Chunk. A good chunk. Yeah, and yeah. So
1: my job as as CEO really is to build a company that's not worth like $5 million or $10 million, but my job is to build a company that's worth $100 million or more. Um, and then when you start to look at it in those terms, like, you know, then— the listeners will go, oh, okay, now I see how this math checks out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the other thing to, to mention, and this is something that I think is, um, I mean, you have this, I know you have the same setup with lead pages, and I assume with SamCart, because um, I, I think this is a really great way to go, is the combination of equity and affiliate, affiliate commissions. Yep. Um, and the reason that that's so awesome is that you get rewarded in the short term you know, in that people can look at your income reports. ConvertKit tends to send you somewhere between ten and twelve thousand dollars a month. Um, but like in the early days, you're taking a big chance, and you're you're lending a, you know your name and your reputation, and putting it behind this product that yes, you've used a lot, but you know the law can go wrong with startups. And so you're for like that long term bet, you're getting paid in equity, and for the short term, you're getting paid as an affiliate. And so if it was one or the other, I don't think it would, um, I don't know the incentives would be aligned as well, but I think because of the combination of the affiliate revenue and the advisor shares, it just makes it a really good fit for everyone. And it gives you more of an incentive to take a chance on, you know, some of these up and coming companies as well as it gives, you know, the company a way to, to compensate you yeah you know, I feel like everyone's incentives are perfectly aligned in that
0: case yeah it's cool it's been a lot of fun actually and I, I'm quite I just feel very blessed to be a part of uh, this growing company and I just want to you know say congrats Nathan I know it's come a long way and I, and I hope everybody listening to this knows that it's not just something you could set up and, and then tomorrow you're gonna have this amazing company with a ton of subscribers and you know even if you did like how would you be able to handle that there's a lot of things that come into play with team building and uh, you know getting everything in into place customer service especially Uh, And, and, you know, it's a long term game. I know Nathan's running a marathon here and we're just at the start, which is really cool. So I'm excited to see where it goes. The last thing I want to talk about, Nathan, if you have a moment, are sort of your growing pains. So right now, and I know this is something that every company goes through, but I know every company is different as well. What are some of the growing pains that you are experiencing right now with uh, your business? Um, I I think it'd be pretty cool to hear that, you know, even though the numbers are great, uh, that there are still things that could be improved on and, and, you know, uh, figured out.
1: One thing as you were talking that I remembered is I think last fall, so probably about a year ago, we were talking of like, I asked you the question, when do you think this is going to be like a real business? Um, and you said, I, th- I think the number was 50,000 a month. Like once it hit 50,000 a month, then it feels like it's going to be a real business. Um, and so I think it's fun to just kind of remember those conversations. <laughs> like remember when that was the big goal, but uh, growing pains, there are so many um, I expected server issues and that kind of thing as the result of like having a fast growing company. There are plenty of months in the company that we've grown 20, 30 percent each month. Um, and that's gonna cause issues. You know, we've gone from in the period of a year sending a million emails a month to sending a hundred and thirty million emails a month. That has a lot of server issues. Um mm-hmm. and so we put a lot of work into that. You know, we had some downtime over the summer what I didn't expect was all the malicious behavior. So once we kind of became a successful company and we're getting this great deliverability, um, we actually had a lot of people like specifically trying to attack, um, convert and bypass the anti-spam measures. Um, and actually we had denial of service attacks, um, against convert Like I just didn't expect that level of malicious behavior. And as an example, uh, Earlier this summer, I was browsing, or I heard about this from a customer, and then it, they told me, like, hey, go on Upwork and search ConvertKit. And I'm like, okay. And so I go and look, and there's all these postings, and they're things like, hey, uh, ConvertKit has really good deliverability. Can you reverse engineer it? And I'm like, okay, cool. Someone wants to learn how we, how we do what we do, whatever. Next post, like a week later, uh, ConvertKit has really good deliverability. Can you hack their anti-spam measures so they stop automatically banning our account because I mean, it's obviously a spammer mm-hmm. um and then like a, a little while later is convert it's an email marketing service for professional bloggers if you're a blogger sign up and then buy you know like get your account approved and then we'll buy your account from you for a 100 bucks um
0: you're and good.
1: like all this kind of stuff keeps going on and on and i'm like just like oh man and these people at the same time are like trying to hack the system and screw with everything and so I don't know. I just didn't know to expect that going in. And so I spent a good I don't know, 2 or 3 months and a couple hundred thousand dollars like fighting off all of that crap. Um but I don't know. It's just kind of a cost of doing business. That's but that made my summer less enjoyable.
0: Yeah, well, that sucks. And <laughs> you know, I've had that happen to me too. I've had a DDoS attack back in March of 2013 brought my site SPI and many other sites that I had on the same server uh, which was first of all, my, my own mistake to have that be the case. But, um, I was down for a week and a half, lost about twenty fifteen 15 to 20 K in projected revenues at that point. It was just uh, bad. I mean, there are bad people out there doing bad things. So, um, you know, I just know that that stuff is going to potentially happen. And thankfully I had my email list and my podcast and my YouTube channel to still be able to communicate with my audience and keep them up to date. Um, but anyway, are there any things going on in terms of growth? Like what are you guys doing for, for growth right now to you know continue to get the word out there? Or is it kind of at a point now where it's kind of taken off on its own?
1: Um, to some extent, it's taking off on its own. But to, level, to maintain the levels of growth that we want, it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so the main channels for us, and we're, we're trying to not pursue like new things all the time. We're trying to really analyze what's working and, and double down on that. It's like a big thing for the last two years for me is, is just focus. Yeah. So our channels right now are, we do a lot of direct sales still, um, but we've switched that so it's not as much outbound where we're identifying prospects and cold emailing them, Though we still do some of that. Um, it's more inbound where now on our marketing site, it's trying to get people to request a demo and have those conversations. So there's that, and then there's um, affiliates, and we have about two thousand affiliates, but with affiliates, there's something I, I first learned this term from Chris Gillibo years ago. He called it the 98 two rule of affiliates, and that's like 80 twenty, but instead uh, of that it's that only two percent of your affiliates will ever sell anything ever. Hmm. Um, you know really it's just a like a power law distribution on the effectiveness of, of affiliates, you know, it's not yep. going to be equal across all of them. Um, and so we've put a lot of work into helping our affiliates to write reviews, host webinars and that kind of thing. Cause people don't just sign up for the affiliate program and then like magically start making sales. It takes a lot of, you know, you actually have to, uh, get that content out there. Um, so those are the big channels. And I guess I mentioned webinars, um, we do about, 25 partner webinars every month um, and so that would be with everyone ranging from uh, Darren Rouse from ProBlogger to uh, Pat, you still hold the, the record for our largest ever webinars mm-hmm. to we just did what some with John Morrow, uh, we've done with John LaDumas, you know, um, but basically we get in front of a different audience pretty much every single day for a webinar and those could bring in anywhere from like a small webinar might bring in ten customers, mm-hmm. and we're thrilled with that because we just got to um kind of do a bulk uh, or like a mass sales call instead of one on one it was like one to ten or one to fifty um, and then a big webinar from us for us would bring in anywhere from a hundred to maybe four hundred customers
0: that's awesome we amazing do them
1: all the time
0: <laughs> love it. I mean I know that's how a lot of other companies have grown lead pages especially they went on yep. a Big, huge webinar kick, uh, and they're still doing that. Um, So that's awesome. Uh, Nathan, there's been a lot of great information, very inspiring. You know, it makes me think of what's possible for a smart podcast player or in the realm of software uh, now that I have kind of dabbled in it. But also, you know, I think it's a great eye-opener for people on what really happens with this kind of business that, you know, a lot of people see the success and they see your numbers on bare metrics and they're like, yeah, I can do that too. And maybe you can, and I hope you do but it's not going to be easy. That's for sure. And I love how you always go back to, well, let's just, let's just solve people's problems first and, and talk to the customer. And that's really where it all starts. So if you're thinking about getting into any kind of business, as you might know, when you read, will it fly? Or if you're taking my smart from scratch course as one of the founder users, uh, founding students, that course will be launched later next year, um, or early next year. Uh, it's all about talking to people, getting information from them. That way you can build the best thing uh, that you can for them to help them in the easiest way possible. So, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on your time today, especially after your, your, your recent trip to Thailand. And I uh, just want to thank you again for building an awesome company and, and sharing your wisdom, as you always do.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for being a huge part of all things ConvertKit.
0: Yeah, man, my pleasure. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Nathan Berry, again, CEO and founder of ConvertKit company that I am an advisor for and that I dearly love, and I cannot wait to see where they go next. If you want to check them out, use my affiliate link, smartpassiveincome.com slash convert kit, and that'll get you hooked up there uh, no matter what level you're at, even if you're just starting out. And what I love about them is that they're super easy to use. They're not overwhelming, and that's why I switched over. So you can check them out again one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash convert kit. Nathan, thank you again for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Best of luck. I know we'll get through all those growing pains and we'll be doing that together. And I can't wait to see what the numbers are like. And if you want to check out the show notes and the resources and the links, including a link to their Bear Metrics account, which shows you exactly how much money they're making and what their monthly revenue rate is and you know monthly recurring revenue numbers are and all those things. I love that because it's so transparent. You can check that out and other links at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 244. Also, I want to take a quick moment just to thank you. I don't know if you realize this, but you've had, you, the listeners, have made a massive impact on the direction of where Smart Passive Income has gone. Uh, As a result of you, I've been interviewing certain guests that you've recommended As a result of uh, your recommendations, I've been tackling different topics that are are of high interest to you. Uh, In addition to that, I created a brand new podcast called Ask Pat, which you may have heard of before. And on that show, I answer voicemail questions from you as well. You can actually check that out at askpat.com. But that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Obviously, Ask Pat, there needs to be questions in addition to my answers in order to make that show a success. And and I'm so thankful that uh, it's there. and, And I have you to thank for that. I also have you to thank for pushing me to create some online courses to help you through a number of the, of the different problems and pains that you might be having with your online business, uh, the, the scaling of it, just even the start and the process of it. Um, even though there's a lot of great free information here via the podcast, I know, and I know this from my own experience as well, Courses can be life-changing because you you purchase a course and you are just in that mindset of actually doing that thing that that course tells you to, to do. And I have a number of different courses available to you if that's the kind of thing you need in order to actually finally start getting results and taking action. So I know a number of you have already taken action, which is fine. Like I'm not trying to push these courses on you, but they are there and available for those of you who would much prefer to get that targeted information and the accountability and the hand-holding through those processes. So if you want to check out and see all the courses that are available to you, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com courses. That's a page that's going to continually grow over time as well. So keep checking back, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. And I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing you there. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. And I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Smart Passive Income podcast, where we're going to be interviewing another a uh, highly successful entrepreneur, one that you may have uh, not have heard of before, but he's doing great things and he's got some really interesting stories to share. So I can't wait to share that with you. Until then, keep moving the needle, keep working on one thing at a time. You got this and let's finish off the year strong. Thanks so much, I appreciate you. See you the next one. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.